the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD, in an uncertain economy. If you're looking for wealth management solutions and financial advice, go to KirkElliottPhD.com and make an appointment today. Coming up, I'll reveal how the police state has its origins in the aftermath of 9-11 when the FBI started manufacturing terrorism to meet quotas and extract huge amounts of money from Congress. I'll give a specific case to illustrate the point. And Texas Senator Ted Cruz, author of Unwoke, joins me. We're going to talk about the growth of cultural Marxism and the threat it poses to our politics, our education system, and our way of life. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. America needs this voice. The times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. Have you seen the movie Police Dead yet? If you haven't, you should. It's available two different ways. You can stream it, um, which means you can watch it on your favorite device, any device, including your big screen TV. And the movie is streaming from Rumble. It's streaming from Salem Now. By the way, it's also streaming on Epic TV. Um, those links are on our website, policestatefilm.net. So you can click on Rumble. It'll take you to the Rumble link or click on Salem Now or DVDs. Now, the cool thing with DVDs is it's a way to own the movie in a physical form. And so you can obviously... Now, by the way, with the streaming, you can play it as often as you want. It's not like you're buying the streaming and so you can only watch it once. But you have to log back into your Rumble account, log back into your Salem account, and then you can watch the movie as often as you like. But with the physical DVD, you have it. Also, the cool thing about a physical DVD is you can give it away. You can buy DVDs for other people. And with Christmas coming up, this is a great way to stock up on Christmas presents. It's also very helpful to us. You're helping us get the word out. You know, people so often say to me, like, what can I do? Like, how can I help? And and they sometimes think, well, I'm not very, uh, you know, accomplished in doing messaging. I'm not a professional writer. And I'm like, guys, don't worry about that. We've already done the messaging. That's called the movie. What we want you to do is to become an apostle, an evangelist, help us get it out. The the content is already done. And done really in it represents our best work as a team. It's riveting. It's unforgettable. It will really affect people who watch this film, and they'll thank you for giving it to them. But you need to be the one that helps us to get it out there. So load up on DVDs. Good time to order them early. You'll have them in stock. You'll be all you do that is stick them in a nice little bag with a bow, and you're ready to go. So once again, the website 
policestatefilm.net. That's where you get, every now and then we'll get queries like, I'm trying to find the movie in a store. I'm trying to find the movie uh, in a theater. No, the one-stop shop to watch this film is to go to policestatefilm.net and all the options for buying. You want to buy DVDs? Okay, you can buy them from Salem. You can buy them from Shopify. Both those links are up on the website. All right, now let's talk about Police State because Police States have a an origin, a beginning. And, um, and in the film itself, we discuss, well, was the beginning... Ruby Ridge? Was it Waco? Those, of course, the two kind of cataclysmic events from the 1990s, one, by the way, under Bush, one under Clinton. So was that the roots of the police state? In a way, I suppose, I think the significance of Ruby Ridge and um, and Waco is this, and that is that a lot of Americans at that time supported those things. They supported the government's actions. Even though on the face of it, the government's actions were kind of atrocious, the reason people supported it is they thought, well, these people are kooks, they're freaks, uh, they're cult members, who knows what they're doing behind closed doors. And I thought of all this when I heard Hillary Clinton talking about, you know, the MAGA cultists need to be reprogrammed or deprogrammed, because it occurred to me, she's not just exaggerating. A lot of people thought, well, Hillary's just being Hillary, she's bloviating, this is like the basket of deplorables. No. She knows what she's doing. She's a very sly, cunning character. And what she's doing is dehumanizing people. She's dehumanizing patriots and conservatives and Republicans and Christians. And very often we know from history that the dehumanization is a prelude to ostracism, incarceration, and of course, in the case of the Nazis, extermination. So this is not something that we should take lightly. I think the real big change with the police state came after 9-11. Uh, but the emphasis on people who talk about this is always on the granting to the government of enhanced powers. And that is certainly part of it. But I want to emphasize today something different. Not so much that. Yes, we did grant greater surveillance powers to the government. Uh, and I now regret that. I regret being a part of that. I re- regret supporting it. We also granted to the government the ability to uh, collapse distinctions that were previously um, important. Distinction between intelligence gathering on the one hand and criminal prosecution on the other. You can gather intelligence, but that's not typically to be used for criminal prosecution. With criminal prosecution, you begin with the crime, and then you follow the tracks of the crime to find out who the criminal is. When you blend those two, you can do intelligence on someone and then kind of find out what crime they did. Say, oh, wow, I noticed that there may be something here. Why don't we get the tax man to take a look at that? So it's, it, it facilitates political targeting. Uh, the other distinction that became blurred after 9-11 was the distinction between operating abroad versus operating at home. So the CIA is supposed to operate abroad. It's not a domestic agency. It's a foreign intelligence. It's an agency focused on foreign intelligence gathering. The FBI is a domestic agency. So the FBI at home, the CIA abroad, but again, after 9-11, it was like, well, wait a minute, these intelligence agencies haven't been talking to each other. That's how we got 9-11. So now the CIA gets to work domestically. Now the FBI gets to work internationally. Suddenly, this kind of wall of separation between domestic and international, again, becomes collapsed. So all of these are ways that police state powers are given to the government. And then later under Obama, and of course, now under Biden, they could be redeployed 
against political opponents, against conservatives. But my focus is going to be on the way in which the FBI learned in the aftermath of 9-11 to entrap people, basically to manufacture terrorism, to take people who might be disposed, who might even be anti-American, who might be bloviators, I don't like the U.S. government, but to lure them into a terrorist scheme that they would not otherwise have done on their own and then bust them. And I'm going to focus on a case that is mentioned in the movie, but I'll discuss it in more detail here, the case of the Liberty City 7. Debbie and I made a New Year's resolution. We're going to lose some weight. And look, it's been great. Thankfully, PhD weight loss came to our rescue. Debbie's lost 24 pounds. I've lost 27. We are both keeping them off, and we are now on officially maintenance. The program is based on science and nutrition, no injections, no pills, no long hours in the gym, no severe calorie restriction, just good, sound, scientifically proven nutrition. It's so simple. They make it easy by providing 80% of your food at no additional cost. They tell you when and what to eat. And guess what? You can do this without ever being hungry. The founder, Dr. Ashley Lucas, has her PhD in chronic disease and sports nutrition. She's also a registered dietitian. She helps people lose weight and most important, maintain that weight loss for life. If you're ready to take the step of losing weight like Debbie and I have, call PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. Here's the number. Write it down, 864-644-1900. You can also find them online at myphdweightloss.com. The number again to call, 864-644-1900. The FBI and the police agencies of government after 9-11 developed a formula for creating terrorists, manufacturing terrorists. And you might ask, well, why would they want to do that? Well, the answer is simple. There was a giant river of cash that went to these police agencies in the aftermath of 9-11 to stop terrorism. And yet the foreign terrorists that this money was given to to stop weren't seemingly doing anything. In fact, you probably did and I did expect more 9-11s, more attempted 9-11s, but that just wasn't happening. It could be because the U.S. bombing in uh, of the Taliban in Afghanistan, the attacks on al-Qaeda abroad, immobilized that terrorist operation abroad, at least temporarily. They couldn't really pull it off. And so the FBI was like, wait a minute, the American public sort of is has this fear, they're looking for terrorism, why don't we sort of meet that demand by creating terrorists. I mean, it's an awful thing to do, and it's obviously deeply cynical, and it's actually wicked. Why? Because you're framing people for something they wouldn't otherwise do. And the formula it was goes kind of like this. Let's find a couple of, you know, angry Syrian students at NYU or at um, some college out in Chicago, and these guys don't like America. They're making anti-American slogans, but let's implant some FBI informants in the group uh, who look like them and uh, Muslim guys, uh, but on the FBI payroll. And the job of the Muslim guys is to stoke these guys into wanting to be terrorists. So they'll say things like, well, Muhammad, you're, you keep talking about how you hate the U.S. Have you ever thought of joining ISIS? And the guy's like, well, no, I'm going to join ISIS. Well, why not? You're, so you're a big talker. Why don't you put your, put your actions behind your, your mouth? Well, okay, I'll join ISIS, but how do I join ISIS? Well, guess what? They have a training camp coming up next year in Pakistan. Maybe you can go. Oh, no, I can't go to a training camp in Pakistan. I don't have a passport. I live with my mom. I don't have any money. I can't go to Pakistan. It's ridiculous. Well, 
it's not so ridiculous. It turns out that the, the training camp is in the summer. You don't have classes at that time. And what if we helped you to get a passport? How will you do that? Well, it's very easy. We'll just help you apply and get a passport and so on. And how much money do you have? Well, only I have $800. Well, a ticket's going to be a little bit more than that. But guess what? If you come do some work with us, we will provide you with the balance of the money. You're now going to be able to afford a passport. You can go down there. It's going to be a life-changing experience. And the guy is like, well, yo, okay. He shows up at JFK with his passport, now with a ticket, and there's the FBI busted, handcuffs, the media is there in attendance, we have uh, we have thwarted a major case of terrorism. This is the formula. And in the film, in Police State, we use a couple of examples, and one of them, the one I want to tell you about, is the Liberty City 7. And uh, this is a case where you got these... You got this guy, Narcile Batiste, and this guy is sort of a little bit of a scam artist. He's a, he's a religious seeker. He's a member of a group called the Seas of David. But look, they have no connection with Al-Qaeda. They have no weapons. They haven't done any terrorism. They are not terrorists. But their FBI informant, who's planted in the group, basically uh, talks to them about the idea that, hey, listen, there could be a lot of money. We have an Al-Qaeda contact and let's shake the guy down and get some money. And these guys are like, they're in construction. They're like, we could use some money for our struggling construction business. So they go along with this supposed Al-Qaeda guy. And their idea is to sort of con some money out of him. The Al-Qaeda guy is going to pay for a terrorist action that these guys really have no either ability or interest uh, or don't even plan to carry out. But they want to take the money. They're presumably going to just disappear once they get the money. Little do they know so they're trying to pull a scam on Al-Qaeda, which is really dumb. But of course, what they don't know is that the FBI is pulling a bigger scam on them. So in other words, they are like the mini scam artists, and they have somehow gotten involved with a major scammer, a major scammer that is looking for domestic terrorism, in this case, domestic terrorism from an Islamic source, that they can then parade on national television. And of course, later, it was Alberto Gonzalez, the Bush attorney general, who goes on TV, oh, there was a plot to attack America. Oh, there was a plot to blow up the Sears Tower in Chicago. All nonsense. This whole thing was concocted, was cooked up by the FBI. They helped this group to go along, and then they busted them all aimed at fortifying the FBI's reputation, fortifying the resources of the police agencies of government, essentially to to get get taxpayer money flowing toward the thugs with badges. Recently, the G20 group announced it welcomed the discussion of the effects of implementing central bank digital currencies in their current countries. These digital currencies could allow the government to track every purchase you make, they could allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain stuff or easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. In essence, they give the government control over your finances. Not good. Concerned Americans are diversifying their assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. If you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you should call Birch Gold. Debbie and I customers, we buy our gold through Birch Gold. But find out for yourself. Text to Nesh to 989898. They'll send you a free information kit on gold. No obligation, just information. Here's the easiest way to become a Birch Gold customer. If you have an IRA or a 401k from a previous employer, 
Birch Gold can help you convert it into an IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text Dinesh to 989898, claim your free information kit on gold, and call Birch Gold, because if digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to fall back on. I'm talking about the case of the Liberty City 7, uh, a fellow named Narsil Batiste and some of his buddies. Uh, they are roped into this scheme, and there's an Al-Qaeda guy, and the... Um, the, the Al-Qaeda guy is not an Al-Qaeda guy. He's actually an FBI informant. His name is Abbas Al-Saidi. And this is a guy, by the way, that was convicted on domestic violence and was serving a prison term. So the FBI basically gets him out on the condition that he agrees to be an informant. So it's important to realize these informants all have their own motives. And their own motives are to get a lighter sentence, get out of prison, also get money. These informants are often paid thirty, fifty, ninety thousand dollars, and some of them are informants on multiple cases. They entrap this guy over here, and they go and trap that guy over there, and it's money upon money upon money. So you can make a very good living if you are kind of a good con artist yourself. You join essentially up with the con artist operation known as the FBI. And again, the real con, if you think about it, is a con on the American people. Because the ultimate con is for the attorney general to go, we busted this operation, we arrested these terrorists. They're not terrorists. They they maybe want to be even terrorists. Maybe, maybe ha- if they had the resources, they would be terrorists. But the key point is, absent your involvement with them, absent your suggesting the idea, providing the passport, providing the money, in some cases providing the explosives, in some cases providing the training camps, the reconnoiter missions where you go check out, and of course later it would be Gretchen Whitmer's house. So you can see how the replicated play developed here with the Liberty City 7 is then essentially the exact same playbook is used for the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping. And then in a modified form, the same playbook is used on January 6th. So these are to a large degree, orchestrated events. How do we get these yahoos who are unhappy about COVID, how do we plant in their mind the idea of kidnapping Gretchen Whitmer? And then when they all say, as they will do, we can't do that, we don't know how to do that, she obviously has security, you you surmount the obstacles. Well, first of all, you need some military training guys. So they're like, okay, how do we do that? Well, we're having a training camp. The FBI sets up the camp, the FBI pays for it. And so then, well, we got to go on a mission to go and check out the facility, see where Gretchen Whitmer lives. Let's take you to our vacation cottage. Now, all this time, again, the FBI has already notified Gretchen Whitmer. She is kind of in on it. They all know that this is a theatrical scheme being orchestrated by the police agencies of government, which, of course, at the right moment will bust up the operation and then it will be used politically against Trump. Look, these are right wingers. They're upset about covid. They're domestic terrorists caught up in the act. Let's remember the Whitmer kidnapping thing was was publicized one month before the 2020 election. It was in its own way a form of election interference. And then if you watch Police State, there's a very dramatic scene. I'm now flashing back to the Liberty City 7, where if you want to put these guys before a jury, you know, the jury is going to be a little skeptical. Wait a minute. You have all these FBI informants who have infiltrated the group. The FBI is pushing forward a plot that may or may not have gone forward on its own strength. So they all the FBI loves to sort of cement their case. And they cement their case in this case by getting Narsil Batiste and his friends to take an oath to Al-Qaeda. So imagine the, I mean, it's, I shouldn't say the comedy of the situation. There's a comic element to it, but it's also a really tragic comic 
where they get these guys to swore to swear fidelity to Al Qaeda. Oh, I will be a soldier of Al Qaeda. I will be a jihadi unto death, and so on. But who are they taking the oath with? Not an Al Qaeda guy, an FBI informant posing as an Al Qaeda guy. It's almost like this is a movie. It's a sting. This is like Robert Redford in the Sting all over again, pulling a fast one on these guys. And these guys are gullible. They have no idea that the FBI is has everything under electronic surveillance. The FBI is basically hiring actors to play this role. And so we're not dealing really with a police agency that is tethered anymore to the law. We're dealing with rogue agencies of the U.S. government that are turning now, today, U.S. citizens, patriots, Republicans, and conservatives uh, is trying to frame them into terrorist schemes. So this is all a way of telling us that in everything we do, we have to be a little cautious because these people are not above trying to frame us just like they framed Narsil Batiste, just like they framed the guys who tried to, who were, you know, busted trying to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. Those guys absent the FBI would not have gone forward with that plot. Which, which is why a bunch of them, when, we, when they went before a jury, were acquitted. Mike Lindell just keeps on introducing great deals. He's featuring the all-new MyPillow My Towels. Save 50% on the six-piece towel set, regular price $59.96, but now for a limited time, just $29.98 with promo code Dinesh. Debbie and I have Mike's My Towels all over the house. We love them for ourselves, but you know what? We also love to get them as Christmas presents. Good idea for you to think about. My Towels 6 piece set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths. These towels are just amazing. The long staple length of the Sherpa cotton fibers makes them very soft because of the long fibers. They can wrap around each other more easily, creating a smoother and softer fabric. Soft to the touch, but without the lotion-y feel and also super absorbent. Take advantage of the 50% off on the 6 piece towel set. Call 800-876-0227. Again, the number... 800-876-0227. I'll go to MyPillow.com. Don't forget to use the promo code. It's D-I-N-E-S-H Dinesh. Guys, I'd like to welcome to the podcast our friend Ted Cruz. Uh, Ted Cruz is, um, well, has had a distinguished career. He graduated from Harvard Law School. He was a associate deputy attorney general under President George W. Bush. Solicitor General of Texas after that, arguing nine cases before the Supreme Court. Elected to the Senate in 2012, he's a member of the Judiciary Committee, and he has a new book. It's called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Uh, His website, uh, tedcruz.org. Ted, um, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Um, Talk to me about why you're a senator, you're enmeshed in the process of legislation and dealing with all the stuff that's coming down the pike from the Biden administration. But you took time aside, you felt it important to write a book about a cultural phenomenon that appears to be invading or overtaking our institutions. You use the kind of general category of the unwoke, but talk about why you thought it's important to to write this book and do this expose. Well, absolutely. Dinesh, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Um, look, I, I look at where our nation is, and my reaction is the same as yours. I, I am horrified. I, I think our nation is in utter crisis. And, and I think millions of Americans are wondering, how the hell did this happen? What, what 
happened for us to go so dramatically off course. And what this book endeavors to do is to explain that. And, and, and so the way the book is organized is it focuses on how the left seized control of the major institutions of our nation. And, and each chapter addresses a different institution. So chapter one is the universities. And I refer to the universities as the Wuhan lab of the woke virus. It's where it was invented. It's where it mutated. It's where it spread. And then each chapter goes on from there. So after that, the next chapter is K through 12 education. After that is journalism. After that is government. After that is big business. After that is big tech. After that is entertainment. And that includes Hollywood, movie, TV, music, sports. After that is science and the politicization of science. And then the final chapter is on China. And I lay out China as a central nexus that is intertwined with all of them. And and what the book endeavors to do, Dinesh, is two things. Number one, explain how and why this happened, how the radical left from within seized control of these institutions. But number two, much, much more importantly, the book lays out a clear, practical battle plan for how we take them back. And each chapter ends with how we fight back, laying out the next steps, because if we don't take these institutions back, we are going to lose our country. And I think the stakes are are more dire than they had been in our lifetime. Yeah, I like this very much, and I like the organization of it, because I think you're right that the original, as you say, the, the Wuhan lab, the incubator, the, the gain-of-function research yeah. is, is the university. So let's begin there. Um, if I flash my mind back to when I was in college and probably were you, uh, around roughly the same time, institutions like Harvard and Dartmouth were left-wing, in that yep. a predominance of the faculty was leaning that way. But I think you remember, and I do, that there were prominent conservatives at places like Dartmouth and Yale and Harvard, and yes. they provided a very important kind of counterbalance. At Harvard, for example, I'll just throw out some names, the biologist E.O. Wilson, the political scientist Harvey Mansfield. Uh, they were Alan Dershowitz at that time, not a conservative, but nevertheless a classical liberal at Harvard Law School. So there was this, the universities hadn't been fully taken over. So how would you describe how the university campus went from being leftward tilted Yep. to being essentially a left monopoly in which today you or I would be really hard-pressed. You could go through a, a whole elite college and be hard-pressed to name a single conservative offering a rival point of view. Yeah, no, it's it's an enormous challenge. What, what year did you graduate from Dartmouth? I graduated in 1983. 83, okay. And so I was 92 <laughs> at Princeton and then 95 at Harvard Law School. So So nine years after you. Look, you're right. The, those institutions were all left and, in fact, hard left when we were there. But there was a critical mass. There were conservative students who were outspoken. You and I were both very outspoken conservatives on campus. And you didn't face negative consequences. You weren't canceled. You you, you weren't disciplined. It wasn't treated as something that must be silenced. And, and you're right, there were professors who also, not many, but, but there were a handful of professors 
who, who would present a, a different view. At Princeton, you had Robbie George, who's my thesis advisor and is one of the premier conservative intellectuals in the country. Um, at Harvard, you had Charles Freed, who had been Ronald Reagan's solicitor general, and he's someone for whom I worked in law school and, and was brilliant. You had a few notable conservatives. What what I outline in the book is is I go back to to what Marxism is and and you you know it but but some of the people watching your podcast may not be familiar with the origins of of Marxism. Marxism began with the works of Karl Marx and 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 most notably in the Communist Manifesto, where he laid out a worldview that that the world is is economically determined and it is in an inevitable conflict and it's in a conflict between oppressors and victims. And Marx viewed things in socioeconomic terms. And so the oppressors were the owners of capital and the victims were the proletariat, the working men and women. And Marx advocated for what he saw as the solution, which was the violent revolution of the proletariat to overthrow the oppressors, the owners of capital, and to use government power to redistribute the wealth and power from the oppressors to the victims. And starting in the 1960s, starting in the 1970s, Marxists began to infiltrate universities, particularly elite universities. When I was at Harvard in, in the 1990s, this is not hyperbole, there were more self-described Marxists, more self-described communists on the faculty than there were Republicans. You had one or two open Republicans. You had dozens of self-described Marxists on the faculty. Let's take a pause, um, Ted, uh, because I want to I want to come back into this and go into it in a little more depth. We'll be right back with Senator Ted Cruz. There's nothing worse than hearing about people living in pain. That's why I want to tell you about Keith from Washington and his Relief Factor story. Now, after years of activity, from college football to running a martial arts studio at age 51, Keith's body felt like it was wearing out. So he gave Relief Factor a try. Keith says he now has, quote, little to no pain in my knees and highly reduced neck pain. He's feeling so much better. He pursued a second degree black belt. Well, what a story. And you know, on a personal note, that Relief Factors work for Debbie and me, our family and our friends. So if you're living with aches and pains, see how Relief Factor, a daily drug-free supplement could help you feel and live better every day. To get started, try the Relief Factor three-week quick start kit. It's only $19.95 comes with a feel-better-or-your-money-back guarantee. Visit relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. Again, the number, 800-4-RELIEF, or go to relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. I'm back with Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, the website, tedcruz.org. The book, Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Uh, Ted, you were describing the infiltration of self-conscious Marxists and communists into elite universities in the 60s and 70s. And um, and now, was there a time when they took this economic framework of Marxism and they um, incorporated all the intolerance and revolutionary implications of it, but also pulled in some imported some new categories uh, yep. dividing people by race, by gender, by sexual orientation. So while Marx had a singular division, now you had these 
uh, an elaborate division and also some of the what the left now calls intersectionality, the cross currents of these various divisions. Yes, yes. Did that happen between the 70s and the 90s? Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. And that's when it began mutating. At first, they were plain vanilla Marxists and, and, and they advocated for communism. But then you started to see the, the theory changing. And, and one of the first mutations was critical race theory. It uses the same Marxist frame of oppressor versus victim. But instead of being socioeconomic, it's based on race. And so it posits posits that America is irredeemably racist. We're in an we're in an internal conflict between races. Some races are oppressors. Some are victims. And again, the solution is the violent revolution and overthrow of the oppressors and government power used to redistribute wealth and power from oppressor to victims. It went to two other categories. So it went to gender and and, and you had uh feminist criticism that, that that was the Marxist take on gender. It went to sexual orientation, queer theory, which was the Marxist take on sexual orientation. It, it went to gender identity. And, and I'll tell you, this explains now what is happening right now in the war in Israel. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a very, very successful Silicon Valley entrepreneur uh, who's a man of the left. He's a Democrat. He's always been a Democrat. And he was expressing bewilderment, complete befuddlement. He said, why are so many on the left embracing anti-Semitism, whether it's the squad in the House or whether it is university campuses with anti-Israel and anti-Semitic protests? And I explained to him, I said, listen, for the extreme left, they have coded Jews as oppressors and they have coded Palestinians as victims. And for that reason, they, the cultural Marxists support the violent revolution of the people they have deemed to be victims over the oppressors to violently overthrow them and use government power to redistribute wealth and power from them. And it's why you see so many cultural Marxists celebrating the Hamas terrorist atrocities at Harvard. Thirty five student groups signed an idiotic, racist and ignorant statement that said every atrocity by Hamas, every murder of civilians, every woman and little girl who was raped, every infant who was slaughtered, all of that is 100% the fault of Israel. Why do they do that? Because cultural Marxists, they support the murder and slaughter of the oppressors. Anything that forcibly elevates the victims, that's what they're in favor of. I remember that just um, right after the Hamas attacks, there was a kind of anguish statement by the former Harvard president, Larry Summers. And yes. he was saying to the effect that I can't believe that the institution to which I've devoted so much of my life has come to this. But I read that statement a little differently than I think he meant it, because I was thinking to myself, you represent, in a sense, the liberal establishment. I mean, you were the president of Harvard University. And while you were president, you allowed this infiltration that you're describing very yep, eloquently yep. to occur. You didn't object to it when you had the power to stop it. In fact, ultimately, it even pushed you out of the institution. And so now you're deploring the consequences. But aren't they the consequences of the of the seeds that you yourself, if you didn't sow them, you allowed them to be sown. 
Well, you're right. Larry Summers was driven out of the presidency of Harvard in part because he maintained their differences between women and men. And the cultural Marxists would not allow that. And, and one of the things you asked a few minutes ago about what had changed from when we were there. And what I would say is the cultural Marxist power has become more complete. And as it's got become more of a monopoly, they now are very willing to utilize force. If they were confident in their ideas, they would welcome dissent. They would welcome debate. They'd welcome discussion. They don't want discussion. They, they, they have trained these children that words are violence and saying things I disagree with is injuring me. So therefore, I will use force and violence against you to silence your voice. And, and, and that Larry Summers, they chased away. But you're right. The institution was corrupted in part on his watch. And, and, and listen, I mean, there was a video two weeks ago from Harvard of a Jewish student walking down the sidewalk, being surrounded by angry protesters, screaming, harassing him, screaming shame, threatening him. I, I, I publicly said on Twitter, I said, look, any student who does this to another student should be expelled. And by the way, if someone did that to a Muslim student, they should be expelled. No student has, has the right to threaten uh, another student. And yet the radical left is perfectly fine with violence if it fits their political agenda. I'll give you an example, and, and it's actually an example that's an intersection of several of the chapters in the book on woke. So when October 7th happened, within days, multiple Black Lives Matter chapters put out statements of support for the Hamas terrorists. Black Lives Matter, the Chicago chapter, put out a tweet with a picture of a paraglider saying we stand with the Palestinians. And the paragliders, of course, are how the Hamas terrorists came into the outdoor concert and murdered hundreds of innocent civilians, teenagers and young people, just gunned them down. Now, a lot of people were shocked at that. But I'm going to tell you this story as a story of how we can win, because I told you this book is an optimistic and hopeful book. It focuses on how we can win. I did a podcast. I do a podcast every week, Verdict with Ted Cruz, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. One of the podcasts was entitled, Black Lives Matter is Hamas. And I walked through the history of Black Lives Matter. What I said is, listen, the phrase Black Lives Matter is indisputably true. It is a truism. Absolutely yes, period, full stop. Black Lives Matter. I agree. The organization, Black Lives Matter, Inc., is an organization that was founded by avowed Marxist organizers. They're trained in fomenting communist revolution. And this is, by the way, their words, not mine. They admit they are trained Marxist organizers. The organization and its founders are viciously racist, and they are also viciously anti-Semitic. Going back to 1995, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter had called for the utter destruction of the state of Israel. And what I did on the podcast is I walked through all of the different corporations that had given millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter, corporations like Apple and Amazon and BlackRock and Coca-Cola. And, and I asked, I said, look, you ought to ask these companies, do you support the vicious racism, the anti-Semitism? Do you support the destruction of Israel? And if you don't, why are you giving your money to a Marxist organization that's fighting for that? Now, here's the interesting thing, Dinesh. I put that podcast out on October 18th. The next day, 
Coca-Cola went online and quietly deleted every reference to the $500,000 that they had given to Black Lives Matter. And, and, and that shows the power of sunshine and transparency. I think they thought nobody would notice and they could just erase that unfortunate chapter. But, but it does illustrate, listen, if we're going to take these institutions back, we need sunshine, we need transparency, and we need to increase the negative consequences for giving in to the woke mob. Let's take a pause. We'll be right back with Ted Cruz. Hey guys, with the new movie Police State Out, this is an excellent time to check out my Locals channel. And if you become an annual subscriber, this movie and others are all available to you, included or for free. I post a lot of exclusive content on Locals, including content that's censored on other social media platforms. On Locals, you get Dinesh Unchained, Dinesh Uncensored. You can also interact with me directly. I do a live weekly Q&A every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern. No topic is off limits. I've also uploaded some cool films to Locals, documentaries and feature films, both mine and also films by other independent producers. 2,000 Mules is up there. And now for annual subscribers, the new film, Police State. So check out my channel. It's Dinesh.Locals.com. I'd love to have you along for this great ride. Again, it's Dinesh.Locals.com. I'm back with Senator Ted Cruz. We're talking about his new book, Unwoke. How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America, website, tedcruz.org. Um, Ted, you mentioned something at the end of the last segment that I think is very important, that it is not merely publicizing the activities uh, and the sort of horrific actions of the woke. It is also putting effective pressure on them in a way that makes a difference. And I think this is important because a lot of people think, that if I like, if I don't go to Target anymore, or if I cancel my subscription to Disney Plus, that is going to do it. But of course, these are large and powerful corporations. It's going to take something to get a company like Costco or Coke or Disney to jump. Um, do you, uh, what do you, what would you say to people who say, well, Ted, that's a really good example where you were able to shame these corporations? Um, what are some similar techniques that one can do? And, and particularly with the university, because while I like the idea of taking them back, I also kind of throw up my hands a little bit. I say there yep. are hundreds of institutions. What's the realistic hope that we can actually recover them? So ta- let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's kind of go forward to your solutions and start thinking about what is a pathway, a blueprint, for fighting back against the infiltration, given how far it's gone. So, so I would say the strategy is, re- <laughs> is threefold. Number one, sunlight and transparency. And, and it's worth remembering the policies of the radical left are wildly unpopular. No rational, reasonable person supports abolishing the police. No rational, reasonable person supports open borders and the chaos we have at our southern border. No rational, reasonable person supports medically sterilizing and castrating little children and no rational reasonable person supports and celebrate hamas atrocities targeted at civilians those are not popular positions so the left relies on power on force and coercion and they rely on indoctrination and and marxists always 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 start 
with the kids. It's why there's such an emphasis on university, such an emphasis on K through 12 education, because starting with the kids and indoctrination is critical. By the way, it's why not only are you seeing these protests, you're seeing the role of TikTok as China is pushing pro-Hamas propaganda. And you want to talk about a terrifying statistic. Harvard recently did a poll that among Americans 18 to 24, 51 percent of them believe Hamas was justified. That's what's happening when we're not countering lies with truth. Now, transparency and sunlight is part of it. Another part of it is dramatically increasing the consequences for giving in to the woke mob. And then another part of it is creating alternatives that become a safe haven for conservative or just rational points of view. Um, let's go through those one at a time. So, so one of the interesting things to note, so I have a chapter on big business, and I lay out how, listen, a rational CEO a few years ago who's utterly apolitical, the rational thing to do is to give in to the mob because the costs of doing so were quite minor. The benefits were significant. They don't come at you with the pitchforks and torches. It's just easier to give in. And, and it's interesting. So, so one portion that I quote in the book, Sam Bankman Freed, who just was convicted of massive fraud for FTX. He was kind of the, the poster boy for ESG, for woke business. He, he and, and his fellow executives gave over $40 million to Joe Biden and the Democrats. Here's an exchange he had with a reporter while he was awaiting his massive fraud trial. Uh, the reporter said, you were really good about talking about ethics for someone who kind of saw it as a game with winners and losers. Here's Sam Bankman Freed. Yeah, he he. I had to be. It's what reputations are made of to some extent. I feel bad for those who got effed by it. By this dumb game, we woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths and so everyone likes us. He's being very open and saying it's a dumb game. We woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths and everyone likes us. He was responding to incentives. Well, you mentioned Target, and, and I, in the book I talk at length about Bud Light and Target, and I actually think those were both very significant watershed events. Bud Light was the number one selling beer in America. Their, their left-wing corporate executives looked down on their customers. They thought they were a bunch of ignorant rubes, and we've never seen a brand light itself on fire as badly as Bud Light did. It went from the number one selling beer in America to dropping out of the top ten, and losing $30 billion of market value. And by the way, those executives all got fired, so they lost their jobs. Just a couple of months later, Target happened. And Target, likewise, they put their political ideology above their customers. They began pushing uh, the aggressive LGBT agenda on children, setting up these displays, marketing, quote, tuck-friendly bathing suits, to little boys two and three years old so they could tuck their genitals and pretend to be girls. And what happened is a bunch of moms got pissed and said, why are you trying to indoctrinate my children? And again, target the exact same thing. They lost tens of billions of dollars. Now, here's what's interesting, Dinesh. If you look at the discussions of the executives at Target as the scandal was breaking, what they said repeatedly was, 
we don't want to be another Bud Light. We don't want to be another Bud Light. That is a very good thing. We need to incentivize the next corporate CEO thinking about, do I go woke, to say, you know what? I don't want to be Bud Light. I don't want to be Target. Maybe I'll just stay out of politics and, and, and just make widgets. And, and increasing the downside, let me give you one more example of increasing the downside. A couple of years ago, the Texas state legislature passed a bill called Senate Bill 13. I was very active in it. I publicly advocated for it, urged every state legislator to pass it. What it did is it said, if you boycott oil and gas, Texas is going to boycott you. State of Texas, millions of jobs depend on oil and gas. You've got these woke Wall Street firms who are saying we will not invest in anything having to do with oil and gas. And Texas says, fine, if you do that, you don't get a penny of the money from our endowments, from our pension funds. It's hundreds of billions of dollars. It's a massive pool of cash. And I'll tell you, Dinesh, Wall Street freaked out. And by the way, the state of Texas also said, if you undermine the Second Amendment, you're also ineligible for Texas's funds. And that likewise caused Wall Street to freak out. In the book on woke, I urge other red states to follow that pattern. And we've got to change the cost-benefit analysis so that, so that the downside of giving into this mob is, is worse than the upside. And that's a big part of taking these institutions back. We'll be right back for a final segment with Senator Ted Cruz. I'm back with Senator Ted Cruz. The book we're talking about is Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. You know, Ted, as you were talking about these corporate executives, about Sam Bagman freed and the the kind of incentives that cause people to go a certain way, I think part of the problem is that the left has developed a formula for threatening big corporations Yes. With a very simple, I mean, think of five guys at UT Austin could call, could create the committee against racism. And they could call up any big company and say, we are going to list you as the biggest racist company in America unless you succumb to our 12 demands. And you know and I know that the VPs of that company would be on a Zoom call in like one hour to discuss the committee against racism. Now, I think part of what frustrates conservatives is they don't seem to have a similar... Uh, kind of leverage on these companies, you'd have to organize like a nationwide boycott and it has to reach a critical mass. Is there a way for the right to be able to put similar pressure on universities, corporations, and cause them to jump and at least take seriously what the conservatives are saying? So absolutely, yes. And that's a big part of the strategy. We've got to create alternative outlets and or take over existing outlets. And and look, the left understands the power of ideas. It's why they took over education. It's why they took over journalism. It's why they took over entertainment. Uh, one of the things I very explicitly call for in, in this book is for conservatives or libertarians who are, who are successful business leaders, who have acquired significant resources invest and buy organs of transmission of ideas. Go buy a newspaper. Go buy a TV station. Go buy a movie studio. Go buy a, 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 a radio network. Go buy a music label. Go buy a book publishing house. The left and right, 
the right consistently undervalues the importance of ideas. So several years ago, and I talk about this in the book, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post for $300 million. Now, I am certain that Bezos did not buy the Post because he was bullish on the long-term profitability of print media. He bought the Post because he wanted to control the commanding heights of public discourse. And too many on the right, the way that, that we tend to think is, well, you know, I could earn an additional half percent return making widgets in North Carolina, so I'll invest in that. And the result is we've ceded a monopoly to a side that wants to destroy our nation. And I don't think that's hyperbole when I say destroy our nation. And, and look, Dinesh, what you do every day, what you do is important. You're making movies, you're writing books, you're engaged, you're doing the podcast, you are fighting. You've been a president of a university. You've been fighting to create alternative avenues. We need to, I'm not sure this is possible, but we need a hundred Dinesh D'Souza's. And we need funding for a hundred Dinesh D'Souza's to go out. And, and, and you don't have to have every institution. Look, the model that I point to in the book that is really powerful is when Elon Musk purchased Twitter. That is, I believe, the single most important step for free speech in decades. If you buy one major movie studio, that creates a safe haven for actors to go to, writers to go to, directors to go to, electricians and gaffers to go to. You, you know, if you look at entertainment and you work in the movie business, you know that if someone gets branded a conservative, they're blacklisted. It, it, it is it makes McCarthyism look mild compared to the cultural Marxists in Hollywood today. And so creating alternative avenues, that is incredibly powerful. And it's something it's something it's why you do a podcast. It's why I do a podcast create. You know, my, my verdict podcast, we have just under a million unique listeners every month. We are beating CNN every single week. And it lets us do things like force Coca-Cola to pull down from their website when they're giving money to Black Lives Matter. We need to multiply that. And so it is a call in particular to conservatives or libertarians with resources. There is nothing more valuable to invest in than fighting to take back the institutions of America and fighting to take back the organs of transmission of ideas. That's the only way we begin fighting and winning these battles. I mean, I... I want to put what you just said a slightly different way, because I think it's a point of capital importance. And that is, if you're a successful entrepreneur uh, yeah. who spends most of your day, and rightly so, thinking about how do I make my product better? How do I serve my customers better? But I think what you're saying is, listen, under normal circumstances, it would be okay for you to keep doing that. But when the country is in peril, then the very infrastructure that enables you to be successful in a free society is endangered. And therefore, you need to now start thinking about, it's kind of like saying, I've got a very successful homestead and a ranch, I've got cattle and, and so on. But wait a minute, if there are outlaws encircling your ranch and they have long guns and they have plans to burn the homestead down and you keep saying, well, I need to buy some more cattle because after all the cat, no, you know, no, you've got to realize, wait a minute, I need to protect the underlying infrastructure that allows me to have a ranch in the first place. And if we can get that message through, it's not that there's a lack of resources on our side. We need to convince people that this is a good way to to deploy them. Yeah, Dinesh, I think that is absolutely right. It's a very good analogy. I want to encourage all, all your viewers. The book, 
Yeah. Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. It came out this past week. It soared to the top of the bestseller list, which which has the New York Times furious. Yeah. But but I want to encourage you, go buy the book. You can get the book wherever you get books. You can get it at a bookstore. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, and it's been at the top of the Amazon bestseller list since it came out. Um, but And it makes a difference. It makes a difference to buy it. I'll tell you, the book, it's not an abstract academic tome. It's filled with stories. It's interesting. It's fun. And, and, and I want to point out, Christmas is right around the corner. This book, I think, makes a terrific Christmas gift. You, you ought to buy one for yourself, but buy one for your mom. Buy, buy one for your best friend. Um, or, or even better, buy one for your kids, because your kids desperately need to know the garbage that, that, that they're being assailed with. And, and it's fun. It's interesting. It tells stories. It tells the book opens, Dinesh, with the story of my dad. You, you and Debbie know my father very well. Uh, in fact, my, my, my father was the, the pastor who married the two of you. And, and it starts with his story where he was a teenage kid in Cuba. Uh, and he was fighting with Fidel Castro. And, and, and he was 14, and he tells me, he said, look, the revolution, they were all 14 and 15-year-old young boys. And, and my father was imprisoned in Cuba. He was tortured in Cuba. My aunt, my tia Sonia, was imprisoned and tortured by Castro's goons. But this is a good story to close on. It's a story my grandmother, my abuela, told me. She was a sixth-grade teacher in Cuba, and when Castro took over in 59, he sent his soldiers into the elementary schools and the soldiers would go into the kindergartens and the first grades. And they would tell the children, they'd say, close your eyes and pray to God and ask for candy. And the kids all did so and they'd open their eyes and there was no candy. Then the soldiers would tell the little kids, they'd say, close your eyes and pray to Fidel Castro for candy. And they do so, and the soldiers would quietly place a piece of candy on each child's desk. That's what Marxism is. It always, always, always starts with the children. It's based on destroying your loyalty to everything, to God, to family, to everything other than the state. And it's based on indoctrination. And if we're going to fight back, we've got to fight in the battleground of ideas, Dinesh, that what I admire most about you, and you and I have been friends a long time, is that you are a warrior in the battlefield of ideas. You understand why it matters. We need to expand that, and, and we need to, as Margaret Thatcher said, first you win the argument, then you win the vote. The book is uh, Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Ted Cruz, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Dinesh. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.